1: Good morning to you. Welcome into the Action Line from WGNS. We are seeing a rapid surge in the coronavirus once again, and this time it appears to be the Delta variant. Uh, That may not mean a whole lot to you, but we have a guy who can help explain it to us. We do know that uh, it seems to be more contagious and appears to be spreading more rapidly. Dr. Dan Rudd is with us this morning. Dr. Rudd, good morning. Good morning, Bart. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, For those of you who recall during the first part of this pandemic, Dr. Rudd was with us on a regular basis and he helped us through some very scary times. Uh, We do appreciate you for that. And uh, although we wish that the scary times weren't coming back again, we thank you for again uh, joining us this morning. Uh, How is the Delta variant uh, the the uh, how is it different from the original uh, COVID-19?
2: Well, the Delta variant has basically one mutation in the spike protein, which is the main hook that we use to develop vaccines against. That is a little different than the original vi- um, uh, virus that was emerged from China they have decided to name these variants with greek letters instead of uh the location where they first appeared so the right now you know we're we're already up to much further than delta with the variants that are out there but that's totally normal and expected coronaviruses which are the type of virus that causes COVID 19 mutate in every single person And the variety of viruses that any COVID patient expels is gonna be wide. There's gonna be a number of them. But what's critical is what's called the fitness of the virus. And does the virus have the traits it needs to uh, spread and cause sickness? Um, And for a virus, like any sort of parasite, basically the goal is, you know, to replicate and to not kill the host, but to make them just sick. And that's one of the things we see as we have variants. Even though this Delta variant can spread easier, it's more, quote, contagious. Typically, its ability to cause serious disease is lessened. And so we will spread it easier, but typically have less ill patients. Um, The other thing that's going on now that's really an incredible advance is the technology available to study the viruses and the treatments that we have uh, developed to treat COVID-19. I think one of the biggest things right now is um, being able to give the infusion of antibodies against COVID-19, which is a, a company named Regeneron makes this product and it's for people who have not been vaccinated who get sick with COVID-19, um, it's it's a huge help in the treatment. I've used it several times with patients, and I'm, I'm I'm really impressed with how well it works. But we also have other things coming down the pike. We have oral uh, antivirals coming that are in the final uh, stages of study right now. So we'll be able to treat with a pill. Um, you know, I think one of the things that is the scary to people that is in the news a lot is what they're calling breakthrough infections and a breakthrough infection is is not it's not the best name for it but what it means is somebody who gets vaccinated for COVID-19 and at a later date develops COVID-19 after they've been vaccinated and that is not at all alarming I mean it's it's not like that's unexpected. We know from vaccines and uh, treating diseases in the past that a vaccine is meant to decrease the severity of the infection, decrease the risk of death, decrease the risk of hospitalization, and um, serious uh, morbidity, sickness. And it's not unusual to have a vaccine that's given and then have an infection of that same entity. So, you know, that's totally expected. Um, I think we're gonna see uh, more of that because right now, I think in the country, I was looking this morning and and we're at 61% of the U.S. is now vaccinated, either completely or with one injection. And as we approach, you know, 70, 80% of people, However many choose to get it, uh, I think we will see uh, the development of this community immunity or what's called herd immunity kick in. But we're going to be faced with COVID-19 illness for a long time. So is this the new flu? I mean, will we have a COVID season? Let's go out and get vaccinated. It it will probably happen. It will become what's called endemic. It'll, it'll be part of the population, just like flu is, just like, you know, a lot of the other diseases that we vaccinate for, they still pop up every once in a while. And especially when we're bringing in thousands of um, infected people from Mexico and basically seeding the country with these infections, it's, it's hard to stay on top of everything.
1: Here's a, a text from a listener and they said they were listening the other day and heard on the news uh, reports that there were increases in f- cases of flu. Uh, why is that happening? We had not had major outbreaks in flu
2: in quite some time. I think that last year we had a drop in the cases of flu because of all the measures we instituted for COVID. We basically locked everything down. and You know, when you have a lockdown, the viruses don't really know you're having a lockdown. So every respiratory virus, you know, is going to be diminished as you have a lockdown. And flu or influenza is a respiratory virus. And so all the procedures we used to fight COVID also fought influenza. So we saw less. And another thing that's going on is that there's some question of some cross-reactivity of some of the PCR tests for COVID that maybe those were actually flu cases. Hmm. Okay. And so, you know, there's there's definitely some um, uh, question in that. And, you know, one of the things we're seeing now, and I think is a very, I mean, it's, it's strange, uh, is that we have the CDC that is kind of all over the place with their recommendations and it's almost like every week or every other day i have to read to see how they've changed something well one of the things they've changed that i i don't have a good explanation for it but they've changed the fact that in order to be called a positive covid pcr test there's two standards one is the standard for people who have not been vaccinated And one is the standard for people who have been vaccinated. And to me, it it ought to be about the same. It's either positive or negative. Well, it's based on the cycle time on the PCR test. And they've said that if you've been vaccinated, they're lowering the cycle time to 28, which basically doesn't test. It's not as sensitive as what they're using for people who have never been vaccinated. And that is 40. And so it's almost like an arbitrary line that's being placed to identify or not identify what they're calling COVID infections.
1: We have another question here from a listener on a text message. And we do take text messages, by the way, 615-893-1450. This person asks, are there many side effects from vaccines? that
2: are not made public, even the deaths. I believe that there are no real secrets about deaths. There is a vaccine reporting system that is a vaccine adverse event screening system that I've looked at it several times and it, it's it's complicated in the way they they keep the data. And sometimes it's hard to tell looking at this um, when somebody has an adverse event from a COVID vaccine, it's hard to tell whether it was a COVID vaccine or a measles vaccine or a, an HPV vaccine or a, um, a zoster vaccine. And so it's, it's not a real easy interpretive uh, screen to, to dissect, but definitely vaccines cause side effects. And, but the side effects are very low. And that typically the side effects are things like fever, aches, red or sore arm, um, fatigue or malaise, uh, and it lasts anywhere from one to four days, and it subsides. That's the most common side effects. Death, there have been deaths associated, quote, associated with the vaccine. But one of the things we have to remember in this country is every day about 5,500 people die in this country. Period. Just period. That's just the baseline deaths. And it's quite possible people could get the vaccine and die the same day and have no relationship. It's very suspicious when we see it because we don't know. But I, I was talking to another doctor who had, was about to vaccinate a teenager. Uh, this was about a month ago. And as he had the injection and he was going to vaccinate the, the child, the child had a seizure. He had never touched the child with a needle. It didn't go in. There was no vaccine in the child. The child had a seizure and it and ended up having a seizure disorder that ultimately led to the child's death child did not get the vaccine. If it had been 10 seconds later, it would have all been attributed to the vaccine. And so I think we have to be careful in, in that. And because we're talking about relatively small numbers, which every, every life is important. But at the same time, we have to realize that a lot of people have died from COVID. And there's going to be a learning curve about this virus and about the vaccines and about treatments. We have a, um, the complicating thing in this country is we have a very aggressive big pharma that likes to make a lot of money on vaccines. And so things that are information against the vaccines aren't going to come to light as easily. And things that are favorable for alternative treatments aren't going to come to light as easily and you know and we have to realize in the world the number one drug used to treat COVID-19 is ivermectin well in this country as a physician it's like politically incorrect to even say the word and so it's a strange time so we don't use that We, we don't use that no. It's because like hydroxychloroquine. it
1: doesn't, doesn't have ties to our local drug industry? Is that what? Uh, Well, I mean, well, we that's
2: not. to be interpreted. Okay. You know, but I think it's related to, you know, orange man, bad thing. Uh, you know, anything that Trump might have mentioned, bad. And so, you know, in spite of the fact that the rest of the world knows and cares nothing about Donald Trump, the number one drug is ivermectin that's being used for COVID-19. It's cheap, it's available, and there are many studies that show that it's helpful. Um, another drug that is very helpful in worldwide studies is an inhaled steroid, uh, basically basically called budesonide. Um, it's used all over the place. And I read this morning, another study shows effectiveness of nasally inha- inhaled steroids. So we know that steroids early in the process can help. We know that ivermectin is an antiviral and early in the process can decrease the chances of getting the infection. It's not approved here I mean it's still i don't guess I would go to jail other than for work if uh he works if at I the got jail, caught by doing way. it <laughs> but yeah, but I work at the jails, so. yeah. <laughs> I thought we would throw that in. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) a lot of people may not may not know that.
1: (laughs) Uh, We have a a text here from a listener that sort of fits in with what you're saying, uh, with the vaccinations that are being used in other countries. Uh, They say that the reason they have not been vaccinated is because they have heard that there are fetuses used in the vaccinations that are offered here in the United States. They are against using fetuses for anything. Uh, and and so they look at that as sort of a religious conviction. Uh, are the fetuses used in the vaccinations or is that fake news? And also, if they are used in the vaccinations in the United States, are they not used in those that you just mentioned a moment ago from other countries?
2: Well. You know, fetal research is done in different ways. Okay, a lot of fetal research is non-aborted babies that the parents approve the use of the umbilical cord and the placenta in research. The baby's born, it's healthy, goes home with mom and daddy, and the umbilical cord and the placenta will be used in research. Now, you get into this zone where you have other things where aborted fetuses are used in research, and that is a unfortunately in this country a thriving business. You know there are a lot of companies that make a lot of money selling aborted fetuses, but in the COVID vaccine, it's the products of the birth products that are uh, released by the parents research and so it gets into this uh, very confusing state of what are if you know what you feel and you don't want any birth products used well there are some used in the research but it's not from abortions it's from approved use by the parents and those are very important uh, research tools and so it's it's complicated like most things in life are I mean, you know, there, it's, there's definitely gray zones, and I understand and appreciate not using aborted fetuses.
1: Okay, uh, we were getting ready to take a phone call, and obviously they changed their mind there, as you heard the dial tone. Uh, probably the best way to do this today is to take text messages. If you're able to take uh, and send us a text message, that's probably gonna be the way we get most of our calls today in. Uh, But if you don't have a a cell phone and don't know how to text, uh, we'll take regular calls too. 615-893-1450. And that's good for uh, both directions. Text or talk. 615-893-1450. We're going to pause for just a moment, check on the traffic and weather. We will be back. A very important edition of the Action Line this morning. Dr. Dan Rudd is with us. And we're talking this morning about the coronavirus.
0: This
3: is Chip Walters, and I'll have Middle Tennessee football and basketball games for you right here.
0: MTSU Sports on WGNS AM, AM FM, online. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas' Family Restaurants. In December, Demus's will be here for 32 years. My parents started this restaurant They wanted a place that was affordable, that people can come and be able to celebrate their special occasions or be with their family. And we have strived to keep things the same as what they have created it. We encourage you to come and try Demas' Restaurant at 1115 Northwest Broad Street. That's Demas' Restaurants.
1: Hi, this is Amanda from Animal City. Animal City is your pet bird destination. Whether you're looking for a new home for your feathered friend, or plenty of toys and enrichment to keep them happy, we are the place for you. Animal City is at 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. We have all the things that you need to keep your feathered friends happy. We have a great selection of enclosures and lots of toys and enrichment to choose from. Animal City is at 919 Northwest Broad Street
0: in Murfreesboro. It's so important that we recognize our veterans,
2: shake their hands and say how proud we are of the service that they have given to our country and that we thank them for that. I am Becky Bookner, and we salute our veterans.
1: WGNS proudly salutes and remembers our U.S. veterans who have served our country.
0: Each congressman, senator, and governor could test as many people as they wanted to get down to 10. Well, mine tested 100. The academy was brand new. West Point Point, Annapolis, you got a primary or an alternate, where if you passed, you're in. If you failed, the alternate goes.
1: In this salute, we talked to a veteran who served in the U.S. Air Force. So
0: I graduated with...
1: James Deck, better known as J.D., flew a C-130 in Vietnam.
0: They sent us to sea survival. We went out there, and they scared the out of us. They let us float out in a raft by ourselves, in a single-man raft. And then we went to Stead Air Force Base for jungle survival. They chased us all over the mountains, shooting at us. We lived off of wild radishes and onions and things like that. And then they captured you and you went into POW training and you spent like seven different ways they were going to interrogate you. And they said, the only thing we can't replicate is the fear of death, but everything else we can do. And they did. And I had many friends that had nervous breakdowns and they failed. One of the things that most of the people broke down on was they shoved you into a box and just kept pushing till you couldn't move. And we had a bag over our head 24-7. I was in there and I could rub my nose with one finger. So I fixated... On being able to do this instead, of on the pain and suffering.
1: James Deck, a veteran of Vietnam. This has been a salute to veteran. Restoration One of Middle Tennessee.
0: A team of experts and immediate responders who help homeowners after disaster strikes.
1: After disaster strikes,
0: fire, water, or storm damage. We can help you get your life back to normal quickly.
1: Restoration One Middle
0: Locally and veteran owned news radio wgns 100.5 101.9 1450 online and on your phone at wgnsradio.com welcome back dr
1: dan rudd is our guest this morning issues concerning the delta variant of the covid 19 the coronavirus Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're on WGNS with Dr. Rudd. How are you this morning?
4: I'm good. Can you hear me?
1: I hear you great. Sure do. Oh,
4: okay. Dr. Rudd, um, there's a, uh, a lot being censored that, uh, on information that opposes vaccination. Uh, I just want to comment about the censorship. Then I want to ask you about a question uh, related to a doctor in British Columbia who's uh, done some studies. Um, the first thing is, is when everybody is trying to, um, silence the other points of view, my feeling is that they feel insecure about their own, um, belief system related to vaccines being held up for scrutiny. They don't want it to be scrutinized, which tells me they're insecure, and I get the feeling when people want to silence other points of view, that they're trying to snow people. The old saying, when everybody thinks alike, somebody's not thinking. But in addition, I think somebody's doing a snow job on somebody. That's the first comment. The second comment, Dr. uh, Charles Hobb in British Columbia has done studies, and he's claiming that 70% of the people that get vaccinated um, have microscopic blood blood clots that are like ticking time bombs. And secondarily to that, I saw yesterday somebody sent me a video from another doctor who has done blood smears uh, under the microscope, and you can see plainly healthy blood cells on the left photo from under the microscope and vaccinated people's blood cells on the right, and it looks totally different. The cells, the nucleus is uh, pretty much gone, and the cells are clamping together and sticking together uh, in the vaccinated uh, smear under the microscope, and I'm just saying that it seems to me There's a lot of people claiming on the outside that are well qualified, immunologists and other people that do say that there are blood clots that uh, have complicated and are potentially going to complicate
2: the folks that have gotten vaccinated. What about that? Um, Well, first, let me say good morning. And uh, uh, one of the things that I believe is, is definitely true about the American left is that they start out with an argument and then they end up with coercion and i have no doubt about that but i also know what you're talking about about the red cell formation is a what's called rouleau formation it's a french word what it means is in a roll. and so anytime the proteins in the blood go up you can have this rouleau formation which is like red cells stacked together like a bunch of lifesavers. Um, it, it's something that, that happens in particular conditions where proteins are elevated. Um, one of the things that happens with vaccines is that there's this fierce reaction against them because of the feeling of coming oppression related to it. In my experience, in what I read and what I believe, is that vaccines help people. I think COVID-19 vaccines help people to not get as sick, and it helps to tamp out the disease. Um, There are going to be people who disagree with me. I read as much as I can to try to understand the whole dynamic. And I do not believe we have a pure, sweet, white, snow, honest environment. We don't. We have multiple inputs that are driven by money, and I don't have any doubt about that. But I also know that in taking care of patients, the patients that I've seen, and I've had probably five or 600 people vaccinated for COVID-19, in my experience, I have not seen anything more severe than a temperature of 103, achiness, and a red arm. Uh, I've had no patients that I've seen that have died from the vaccine. And we know from vaccines in general, almost all complications that come from a vaccination occur within six weeks. And so once you get out past six weeks, the chances of having a reaction to that vaccine are markedly diminished. Doesn't mean it's impossible but it's the standard way before covid that we used we also know that flu vaccine uh, hpv vaccine many vaccines have caused um rare bad conditions in people uh guillain beret is an example guillain beret is a, a progressive peripheral uh polyneuropathy that basically uh the myelin cells the the sheath cells that cover the nerves are attacked by autoantibodies and they basically stop nerve conduction and i've seen people even on a respirator from a flu shot it's rare i've only had one but i remember it and so i think we have to we have to realize all treatments have risk and what are called iatrogenic treatments which are medical treatments that doctors give are a significant cause of morbidity and mortality. There is no doubt medicines can cause problems. And I don't know how to get around that. And I've struggled my whole career with trying to balance efficacy versus risk. And know you know, when to treat and when to not treat. And when to As something as simple as treating people with elevated cholesterol you know there's risk from the cholesterol medicines and there's risk from the cholesterol elevation and you're always balancing those two and doing the best you can to increase quality and quantity of life we never save lives we delay death you know and so everyone will die And it's trying to figure out how to help people have the healthiest, longest life possible. And in the time we're in right now, I think the COVID-19 vaccine, for the vast majority of people who are at higher risk, the vaccination is good. As far as taking a vaccine for children, I personally don't think that's necessary. I think that we should have the right to refuse any vaccine we've always had the right we should continue to have the right nobody has to take a flu shot nobody now the schools will mandate vaccinations unless there's a religious preference and but you can sign out of that and so i think that you know we have to we have to hold on to our rights and not give them up quickly because we'll we'll have to really fight to get our rights back if we do But I believe the vaccine is something that I took. Well, I know I took it. I feel like that it's it's as safe as any vaccine we've got. And for people at risk from COVID, it's definitely the right thing to do.
1: Here's a text from another listener who says, I've had allergic reactions for most of my life from high school on up into adulthood. In fact, I've gone to the emergency room several times, I carry an EpiPen, and originally it was suggested that people like this don't get the vaccinations. I'm concerned, though, about my family's safety. Should
2: I get a vaccination? That's a difficult question. I think that if you've had problems with an allergic reaction to a vaccination, which I didn't hear in that, um, then... I, I would not take any vaccine. If you've never had a problem with vaccinations and you've received vaccinations before.
1: You mean just like flu, flu shots? Or, yeah, or, or, polio the, uh, or
2: pneumonia shot or the shingles shot or any of those, if you've, if you've had those and not had a problem with them, I think you're safe to take the COVID vaccine. But if you've never had a, a, a vaccine and you've had all these allergic problems, I would probably avoid it, but I'd be very careful because if you get COVID-19 and you're in the high risk group, you know, you're still very susceptible to serious illness. One of the things that I think is important to realize now is that if you, if you choose to not be vaccinated and you develop COVID-19 and you're in the first two or three days of the illness, you need to quickly see your doctor and get the Regeneron polyclonal immunoglobulin infusion, which is available by referral from your doctor to the clinics that offer that, and currently today I think there's 140 sites in Tennessee that offer it. There's you can go. There's a clinic at uh, St. Thomas, uh, Rutherford. There's one at Stonecrest, uh, in Smyrna, and so the antibody infusion is good for people who have risk factors, who were not vaccinated, and develop COVID-19. But it so means
1: how that. much of a time frame do you have to do that?
2: Well, the outside is seven days. The best is one or two days. And so if
1: you've gone longer than seven days... Yeah, it's not
2: going to help. Okay.
1: Yeah. 615-893-1450. You can talk or text whichever you prefer on that number. Uh, You do have to be patient. We will put you on hold. So uh, be patient when you call. We have uh, another uh, text from a listener. uh, And this person says they are just getting over the uh, COVID-19. And according to the sheet that was given to them at the clinic, they uh, can go back to work uh, after the, the coughing ends and everything, after a period of time. They say it's been uh, about two weeks. Should they do anything else uh, to make sure they don't have the allergy of the COVID again, or should they go back
2: to work? No, they should go back to work. I think that, you know, typically what I tell patients is 10 days, if they're relatively asymptomatic, that means no fever, primarily, I mean, we know a third of people who get COVID will have some prolonged symptoms. It doesn't mean you're infectious. Uh, you know, And with the sensitivity of the PCR test and the fact that a PCR test doesn't measure active virus, it measures virus debris, you could remain positive on a PCR test for an extended period of time, 30, 45 days but we know that infectivity is at zero, almost universally at 10 days, if there's no other concomitant risk factors.
1: So 10 days after after the,
2: the diagnosis was made, whatever day you treated, you tested positive. Okay, okay, and, you know, that makes if, sense. So if you test positive and you, we call that day one, and at 10 days, if, you're, if you don't have fever, and there's no other problems, and you don't have some sort of immune disease, you know, um, a type, you know, anything severe. There's many lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, a lot of other things that you're on immunosuppressants. If you don't have anything like that, you can return to work at 10 days.
1: 10 days after you tested positive. After day
2: one. Okay.
1: Good morning. You're on WGNS with Dr. Dan Rudd.
4: Hello, Um, I called a few minutes ago about that other question, but I just wanted to ask the good doctor. um, Can you comment on antibody enhancement syndrome uh, and explain what that is and and how prevalent it would be? I would appreciate it. Thank you, Bart. Thanks for having me on, y'all.
2: Thank you. Well, antibody enhancement syndrome—the the the model for that comes from uh, treating Ebola with the vaccine. We know that with e- Ebola and people, they can get this uh, disease that cur- occurs after they've had the infection and then they're given the vaccine. It's, it's really the main disease that that occurs in. And looking for antibody enhancement syndrome, it, there's no specific test for it. It's really a constellation of of features that are used to diagnose it. And one of the things that's difficult with COVID is we know the viral, the COVID-19 is basically divided into two phases. There's the acute viral phase and there's the immune response phase that cause morbidity or sickness. So the, the virus is replicating in day one through 14. It's it's dropping off rapidly depending on how it's treated and uh, other variables. But you can say clearly that at the end of day 10 to 14, the replication is over. So now what you're dealing with is the immune, the body's immune response to it. And in that, that's where most of the real sickness occurs. That's when people die is in our, uh, the reaction The cytokine reaction, what they call the cytokine storm, it's where we develop blood clots. It's where we develop thickening of the pulmonary membranes that decrease the oxygen in the blood. Um, That's where we get a lot of things that happen that are bad. And so the goal is to rapidly diminish the viral proliferation in the first stage, and we do that with the vaccine or the antibody infusion by attacking the virus quickly. You know, we have all these memory cells in our body that generate antibodies. And so when, if you get vaccinated and then you get infected, the infection causes your immune system to turn on and it, it attacks the virus quickly. And so that's how it really helps you. It doesn't change the immune response, but it decreases the trigger for the immune response. Let's go
1: back to the phones. You're on WGNS with Dr. Dan Rudd.
3: Mark, thank you for having me on. And doctor, I appreciate uh, your being on the uh, WGNS radio. There is so much misinformation out there. And some so many people pull out of these studies the little bit that they think justifies not getting the vaccination you know we've had to go through this business of selling vaccinations for years and years even though it's been the best thing that has happened to our society is to be be able to prevent so many of these diseases that we have not only COVID but also all of the others in the past so The thing that I would recommend to anyone, no matter what you think about it, that vaccinations is the best thing for you to prevent from having COVID. And here's the thing that happens, folks out there. So many people are dying prematurely because they are too stubborn to get the vaccination. Thank you so much for listening to me and folks if you haven't had the vaccine you better go get it now because tennessee is sixth in the nation of the delta virus right now
2: thank you thank you for for sharing that but and i agree with you that i mean i told as i mentioned previously i've i've been vaccinated i believe it's the right thing to do but i also believe that we do not need a law or a mandate to be vaccinated and we're moving that direction and i i really don't want to give up the right to decide because the moment we do w- there will be other rights we lose also and you know i encourage people to use their their brain talk to their healthcare provider and make their decision and it's like you know i know recently we lost a uh, radio talk show host phil valentine to uh, covid-19 And he had made the decision to not get vaccinated, which is a personal choice. And who knows what would have happened if he had. We could guess. But, you know, I believe that probably he would be alive.
1: And uh, supposedly his parents or his uh, family had said that when he came back on the air, he had said, I'm going to take a stand for
2: that's right well I think that a lot of times you know when you are bitten by the dog pretty soon you learn to watch for the dog and you need you know and COVID-19 is not a joke it's a very serious illness in many people
1: you mentioned about his death and uh, when he was put on the ventilator we've had other reports uh, over the past few weeks about people who are in their 40s and 50s seemed to be doing fine they were watching them then they put them on the ventilator
2: and they died shortly afterwards. Yeah, we do know that people who go on the ventilator with COVID-19 have at least a 50% mortality.
1: You 50%? Know? Wow. Yeah. Once why they why go, do they put them on the ventilator?
2: Because they can't maintain their oxygen. As you know, we were talking a minute ago about how one of the side effects of the immune response is the thickening of the membrane between the air sacs in the lung and the, and the capillaries. And as that membrane thickens, it makes it harder to transfer oxygen in and carbon dioxide out. And we have to force it. We have to breathe harder. And as we breathe harder, we wear out physically. And as you wear out physically, the oxygen in your blood desaturates. It goes down. And at that time, a decision has to be made. Are we going on the ventilator or not? And that's usually the reason, is people just physically wear out.
1: Here's a question uh, from another listener sent in by text. Why are the blue masks suddenly uh,
2: being said by
1: authorities uh, not to be working. Blue, first of all, what is a blue
2: mask? Well, they're not the N95s, but just the regular cloth, I mean, uh, fiber masks that are used like in hospitals and other places prior to COVID. Um, the N95s are thicker material and and are form-fitting over your face. The, uh, quote, blue mask are not form-fitting they just pull back over your ears and there's gaps. So are they not working? Is that this person? Well, I think that there's a debate about how well any mask work. Uh, we know that viruses are very small critters and they go right through most materials. And so, you know, we, we stop the big droplets with a mask. Doesn't matter what mask. Yeah, I mean, there's. it's like everything. You can have increasingly uh, strong filters. And the stronger the filter, the better. Because you're getting smaller and smaller particles that you're stopping. And we have to realize that COVID-19 is a disease transmitted by SARS-CoV-2, which is a respiratory virus. And so it comes out in anywhere from super small particles to big droplets. The super small particles are gonna go through a mask, any mask. The big droplets are gonna be stopped by a material. The finer the filter, the better the blockage of the virus, but you can't get it to zero. And so, you know, it's like physical distancing, masks, you know, some people wear these plastic helmets I mean, any of that decreases viral shedding, but you have to realize that all of them have limitations. And it's, it's another thing that's been shown that's really interesting is that most people who get COVID-19 actually catch it in their home. So they don't get it out at a restaurant. Most of them, it's somebody brings it home, and then it's transmitted in the household where nobody wears a mask. And so it's, it's hard to know exactly what to do. You can live the very sheltered life or you can get vaccinated, be proactive and live in a freer society. So are you saying wear a mask when you're outside the home? I think you have to go with your comfort level. You know, there are a lot of people, I see people wearing masks when they're driving alone in the car why would that do anything (laughs) i don't know i mean it's like okay if they want to they're free to do it i mean they can wear a helmet if they want to you know but it's kind of like people wearing a seat belt and they choose i don't like seat belts i don't want to wear it okay don't wear it you know just don't preach about it because you know but most of us want to do things to increase our safety and i think we have to balance that with our freedom and that's a tough, tough thing to explain to people because you know, we're not seeing the number of deaths that we saw. We're seeing the disease moderate. And it's because we're seeing a lot more people vaccinated. And, and we're seeing a, a, a new virus, this Delta virus variant that is basically very fit. It's able to be spread easily, but it's not as pathogenic. And so we have variables going on that are all over the place and it makes it very hard to interpret and give somebody a straight one line answer. It's just so complicated. You can't do that.
1: We have one question here that we will try to squeeze in. We're about out of time this morning. So uh, this person's concerned about the number of young people getting the COVID virus. In fact, it was in the news this morning about uh, Tennessee had uh, the majority of cases being spread, they thought, by young people uh, in school. Uh, what,
2: what are your thoughts on that? Well, their risk of serious disease is very low. The gist of it is, is that this is a uh, societal problem that goes to uh, really back all the way to the teachers' unions. Uh, We know that teachers are not kids and teachers have higher risk of getting the disease and being seriously ill than the kids do. I think that we have to decide. And at this point, I come down on on the side of kids should not be mandated to be vaccinated against COVID-19. There will be families who choose to do it because it will be approved soon right now the it's it goes down to age 12 but before long it'll be down to birth and so it'll it'll be approved for that and i think that's where families have to make their own decisions about that the kids are not going to get seriously ill for it from it there there are rare people who do but i want to thank you for being here today bart and uh, it's I appreciate all the conversation.
1: Dan, thank you so much. Uh, Hopefully we won't need you back again, but probably we will. So uh,
2: I'm here at your call.
1: Thank you so much. Dr. Dan Rudd, giving of his time and knowledge about the coronavirus. Thank you for joining us.